on this week's edition of AV Week. Cheaper cable boxes, Google's new 4K format, Apple has its own content, and are we addicted to technology? These stories and more on this edition of AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters. Companies like Vadio. This is AV Week. Episode 211. So subtle. Recorded Friday, September 4th, 2015. Ready. AV. AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of AV Week, your news and information source for those things concerning the AV integration industry. I'm your host, George Tucker. Today, it's good to be with you and to have you guys with us. On this pre-Labor Day holiday, we're going to have a bunch of things to talk about, some resi, some commercial stuff, a little bit of mission mash, and some exciting news about some of our friends who've been on the show before. But before we get to that, let's introduce our panelists for this week. We have, of course, returning for our publisher's perspectives, Andrea Medeiros, editor at Tech Home Builder. Welcome. Thank you so much. Always happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. Also, we've got a newbie on AV Week. You've seen him during some of our party coverage for Sapphire, but uh, Chip Moody from Video Corporation of America. Good to see you again, sir. Likewise, George. Thanks for having me. All right, yeah. It's been way too long. It, it has. Uh, I think you owe me a beer. Oh, I owe you a beer. I'm not sure which way it is. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll buy each other a beer. There you <laughs> go. Two beers. And, of course, that never afraid of a beer is Heather Sidorowitz. She's from SAV. And she's also known as Tech G. Most people know her. Is that on Twitter? How are you? I am well. Either uh, 87 inches of snow here or 90 degrees. So... We cover all seasons. A person of extremes, you are. A person of extremes. There you go. All right. Well, let's get to some of the first news. We have had uh, actually some exciting stuff that I think actually may mean a lot to the industry. This comes from our friends at the Z-Wave Alliance. Our friend Mitchell Klein has now become the executive director at Z-Wave. Uh, if anyone remembers or doesn't know who Mitchell is, he is from Universal Remote Control. He's been there a good long time and helped manuf uh, ma change its direction and grow its business. So not a man who is uh, light in the business. Uh, Heather, I'm going to start with you. Z-Wave, it's one of those technologies that uh, we've seen come along. It's one of a thousand we've seen. But with uh, Mitchell behind it now, what are your thoughts? Um, I think that Mitchell is a forward thinker, so I I believe that they have the right person in the corner to make it what they desire it. Yeah, well, I mean, what is it gonna? What does it bring us? Do you think Z-Wave beyond the other stuff? Everybody's got a wireless sort of protocol, but Z-Wave seems to have made some really good inroads to both the pro and the off-the-shelf market. No. Um, absolutely true. I, I think that, you know, for us, we're so absorbed in it that we see it more, but then it's really that mass market that's going to change the day. Um, so many people don't even know about something as simple as being able to put a code in 
or getting in your house without a key. Things like Z-Wave is really, I mean, that's really what they need to get across mass market um, to really start to make some a difference. Hmm. Uh, Chip, you work more on the commercial side, if I'm correct. That, that is correct. Yeah, so wireless protocols are both a bane and a boon, aren't they? They are. Hmm. Uh, Z-Wave itself, have you had any kind of knowledge of it, or have you utilized it in any form? Hmm. No, we have not. Everything we've dealt with to, to date has been either you know Wi-Fi or the proprietary Crestron stuff. Mm. Uh, would you find a usage for an open sort of sourced protocol like Z-Wave? I mean, I think I'm calling that. I'll be corrected by Mitchell, but uh, of course, you know, it depends on what you know products it would get integrated with. Would it be beneficial from you know my point of view as a control item? Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, Andrea, I know you don't know a lot about uh, some of this part of it, but another player who's going to get bigger in a product that can cross over between pro and off-the-shelf sounds almost like a win-win for the demographic that you speak to, the builders and the people who put in tech with their home building. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but it seems like it has a potential crossover that uh, we, we talked in the past with you about off-the-shelf products and the ubiquity mm -hmm. of, say, Apple or something that the normal person can buy, also having this back-end support of something that can grow into a more, as we like to call here, a professional install. Yeah, I mean, anytime things are more organized and understandable for the builder, that's a good thing. And, it, again, it always depends what market you're in, whether it's luxury or high-volume. High-volume builders are still dealing with a lot of off-the-shelf stuff, they're trying to install stuff themselves, but I think for our luxury builders, this is a great sign for them. Mm. Yeah, so I look forward to really cool things with uh, Mitchell joining, and I look forward to seeing what happens. Uh, I, I haven't been this excited about Z-Wave in a while, and I have to say that when uh, when I saw it posted the, the first morning in a, in a news flash broadcast on my email, uh, I was like, oh, my God, Mitchell's moving. And then I thought about it, and when Julie Jacobson posted an article about it, I was like, you know what? To me, from having both sides of the world, this makes, uh, to uh, use the vernacular in the Internet, this makes Z-Wave reels. It really does to me. All right. Well, moving on to the next topic, uh, Google. Yes, ever-present Google and 4K. They're saying that they want to make 4K less of a video data hog. They've got something called VP9. They're calling out for now something called VP10. Now, this is supposed to be able to make it easier for you to get 4K video over standard bandwidths or your infrastructure. Um, they're really doing head-to-head -head with Apple in their H.264 format. Uh, it's a lot of expense for, for Google. Heather, I'll start with you. Do we really think that this is something that we'll be looking as say, a format we want to use as choice and say, but it supports VP, not VP10. You know, I, I think that there is, there is there's two sides, right? We have the Apple side, and then we have the Android Google side. Um, and I don't think that those two sides are going to go away anytime soon. Um, so I think that being able to make 4K with, or with less bandwidth is a requirement for it really to take off. We've seen it. We know how amazing and beautiful it is, but really what will make the difference is being able to get it to everybody's house. Again, I speak to that mass market. Um, they, don't, they haven't seen it. They're not accessing that yet. And 
they don't understand what goes behind it, what Kodak is, um, but there are things that are necessary uh, under under the blanket that, that need to happen so that we can get these kind of things into the house. Yeah. Chip, I want to throw a technical part of this to you because to me, VP9, VP10 screams compression. And that's something we've, as an industry, have fought a lot. We've Not according won. to the article, right? It was going to be better <laughs> color, better everything. <laughs> it's true, it's true. So, Chip, do we, do we care or are we losing something in this? Uh, I don't think we care too much. Keep in mind that my experience has been still with you know baseband video formats. So uh, you know compression streaming that that that's still filtering into into our projects over here. Um, as far as who what flavor the the streaming codec is, um, I don't think that's necessarily a big deal. It's it's again it's going to be what devices support it. Yeah, it's a question I have though, and I want to put this because I know in the pro video staging world that I work in now, we are really specific about having H.264 as a format. It allows us the proper amount of bandwidth to get these multimedia sort of projection mapping machines to work correctly. VP9 never, VP10 has never come up in a discussion I've heard from any of them. Then again, these guys are Apple centric. Um, a lot of people are making noise that this is really big stuff, but I'm not sure that you would be going to a client, Heather, to say, hey, this really does support VP9. It's what you want. Unless I put in this caveat to you, they claim that it's what they've been using for all YouTube delivery and all of their Chrome-based video services. Uh, do you think your more tech-savvy people will ask you about this or really no. care? No. Resounding no. I don't yeah. think that they... Again, I don't think that they also pay attention to what's under the hood. I can't tell you how many times a week I get a phone call that says, our system's broke. Yeah. You know, we need more information because they just don't understand that. They they would never dream of calling the car or place and saying, the car is broke. Well, is there gas in it? Did you put the key in the car? Did you drive it off a road? You know, uh, the, the way that people are not tech-savvy, most people are not tech-savvy, but even the tech-savvy ones have just enough information really to be dangerous in some ways. Um, so no, I don't believe that I would ever hear someone talk about VP. I think that they would just say, I want the accessibility of 4K however you need to get it to me. Mm. That's a fair point. Uh, although to your to your quote of nobody says my car just doesn't work, having worked for a manufacturer in tech support, let me tell you, <laughs> you get it often. Hi, what's wrong? It doesn't work. What doesn't problem. work? I'm sorry, say that again? I'm glad they have the same problems. Oh, boy. It's, what does it? Well, this. What's this? Your touch panel. Which touch panel? <laughs> so it's happened more often than not, but I get it. I get it. I, I did notice you had a tech support link on your, uh, your <laughs> website, which is very interesting. I was like, oh, that could be fun. All right. Well, something that we do get our clients to ask us about often enough is the interface itself. I mentioned touch panels, but the phablet versus... Uh, Sorry, I've missed that. The phablet versus your touchscreen or versus a smartphone. There it is. This comes from our friends or our friend at AVC. This is Fred Wilson. He is a an investor, sort of an investor in very high-tech firms. He was behind Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, a number of other stuff. He was an original uh, uh, investor in Roku and stuff like that. There was a lot to say about um, technology, its use, and that. He's also famous for telling me personally, that things like home automation manufacturing equipment is a dead industry. It will go nowhere. 
He was really against the actual hardware investment side of it. Um, so know that when he says these things. So this article basically talks about the fact that somebody was talking about called the phablet effect. And for those of you who aren't aware of it, phablet are those larger cell phones or cell phone screens that are not quite a tablet, not quite the small cell phone we're used to. It's sort of in between. It's the big monster thing in your pocket, or the one that will have us geeks still wearing a clip again, the old days with our with our uh, pagers. So he says basically that the the tablet is no longer a real game changer or has any effect, and he thinks it's going away. Sort of a niche market like desktops, to be quote unquote to him. He also says, Heather, that they have tablets in their house but they use them for TV remotes and for music streaming. Haven't we fought this for so long, saying that's just got to be complicated? Don't you want a dedicated remote? And here is a guy who invests in this stuff saying, ah, eh, we use tablets. That's me? Yeah, you. Sorry, I said Heather. I apologize. No, um, well, my first question for everybody else here, too, is who uses a tablet now? Uh, for what purpose? Well, do you, use, do you own a tablet, and what purpose do you use it? I own a tablet, but I use it to surf the web, check email. I don't use it to control devices. Okay, so that's good. How about you, Chip? Uh, likewise, I'm a big iPad fan. I use it constantly. Uh, web browsing, use it for music, uh, occasionally watching videos, occasional games. Thank and you, I, George. I do actually own one. Uh, it's an iPad. Uh, it's one of the older ones, uh, and I actually do create content on it because I have a video editing tool, and when I'm on the go writing articles, it actually works. But I do need the little wireless um, keypad with it because I just can't type on the damn screen. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. So there you go. I don't think anyone I am, can. <laughs> I mean, I, for me, the, the tablet never worked, but I think it's because I'm so... I, love, I have my MacBook Air, and I can use it, and, and I can write with it, and I can take it anywhere. Because I have that, that was already my niche, and the reason I tell the story is, I think that what we're talking about here in this article is the personalization in both personal and business. So what's happened is, you know, with the phablet, it's allowed this additional thing to allow people to have that personalization. So if someone who's comfortable, um, like my husband can do all sorts of things on his tiny little iPhone, text and write and email all day long. I can't. I need to find a computer somewhere I can type because that's how I learn. And I'm sure that as the millennials continue to come into the workplace, for them, the tablet will be it. it I think it's, this article is really about personalization in, in both the residential and business world. Well, Chip, let me ask you this then. Because this does... Heather says something about personalization and, and that... I saw it as a ubiquity, right? This is the devices that are ubiquitous around us. It's what's on us all day. It has, for lack of a better phrase, our scent on it, and we're used to it, and we know, and we're not afraid of it. It used to be that convenience or death with technology meant something I can use very easily that I could just pick up and not have to worry about knowing how to use. That would be your standard remote. Now we're saying that the convenience or death is the ubiquity of our cell phones. Far more complicated product, but we're more comfortable with it. This still causes us problems, though, because our users are always blaming something else other than their own device for an interruption in communication or something like that. No, it's, it's actually more tech support for us. 
do you think? Um, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I totally get the argument for, you know, cell phone size devices just because of the portability. You can, you know, walk around with them attached to you all day long and not necessarily be uh, aware of it there until you need it. Not so much with the tablet. That uh, To me, that's uh, more of a device that you, you, you park on the edge of your desk for the day and, and it goes home with you at the end of the day and otherwise doesn't move around that much. So I, 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 I can kind of see some of that argument. So you're saying a tablet is sort of it is the touchscreen that we all feared it would be when it first came out. It can be. Yeah, and luckily a number of manufacturers did say early on, "Good thing we're not in the touchscreen business anymore." <laughs> you know, we're in the touchscreen business. Yeah, that. Um, Andrea, do you really see this trend in that people are really asking for that device that we've already kept with us, rather than having something that they know will always be in the house and is easy and easier to learn? I can see two sides of this. I am a millennial on the older end of the millennials, but I'm still a millennial. Uh, <laughs> um, we have a Roku, and we use our cell phones to control it. Uh, I don't use the remote as often as I will use my cell phone, and I don't have to think about it until I go home and I want to watch something, and I can pull it up right on my mobile device. Um, and I definitely use my smartphone, my iPhone, more than I use my tablet even to search the web. So that's my perspective as a millennial and as a consumer. On the builder side of things, when we're talking about controlling devices, most of the stories we do and most of the features we do, they use tablets in these homes to control devices. So they're definitely being used still. I don't know if that'll change as the millennials come into the marketplace even more so than today. Uh, yeah, it just it always just struck me, and maybe because I'm of Generation X, I guess, <laughs> um, that you know a simple device. It's simple. I look, it says buttoned on and off. I don't have to go anywhere. It works. Um, would be would be better, but uh, I guess uh, what we shall see. Uh, something that's what you're used to, just like we said earlier. Yeah, I suppose so. I, although I will say, I mean, I use my iPhone all the time. I'm never without it, and it's sort of my source of information when I'm not writing myself. It is where I read a good 90% of the content I read or devour. Um, but again, when I get home and if I turn the TV on, I'm just like, I want that simple, hey, point, shoot. Mm -hmm. like, I, don't want <laughs> I don't want it on me all the time. Um, and then there's the, uh, the, as we've always argued, the I have to go find it, turn it on, put the app on, find the app, get the interface app. Okay. And okay, I just, in all that time, I could have done it, changed the channel, lowered the volume, and put it down, and I was done. Right. Well, that being said, something I think is akin to this, very closely, is from our friends at EE Times, and it's a little technical, this article, but it talks about wearables, the hardware Ponzi scheme. They're not pulling any punches on this one, are they? This article basically goes on to say that the wearable gadgets, and that includes your smartwatches and others, have a limited stickability, as the marketers like to call it, and that eventually what happens is people become bored with them and need to move on, causing a downward spiral of lowering prices but more features. Now, I bring this one up, and I'll start with you, Chip. I bring this one up because what it is is that we often in this industry have to chase the CE trends to accommodate our clients. Everything from the bring-your-own-device, uh, and I almost said BYOB again instead of BYOD, but there you go. <laughs> where my brain is constantly. Um, but seriously, to that point, though, 
we're chasing this all the time. They want to bring their tablets. They want to bring their iPhones to control stuff in their conference rooms. They want to use their wearables to interface to some of the systems we do. And now we're chasing a product that, one, doesn't really provide us any sort of profit. And it's getting cheaper and cheaper. It's sort of an end game, no? Uh, I have, I think I'm going to be thankful for this, but I, I've been kind of isolated from this. Uh, I'm not a fan of the, the wearable technology myself, and to date, I uh, haven't had any uh, projects or clients coming up uh, asking for it. I'm sure it's bound to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So, I, I haven't had you know the the you know oh the CEO wants to be able to run the entire presentation system from his iWatch. That hasn't happened yet. Now, see, I'm shocked by that. I would think that at least one of them would have said. I want to do this. Yeah, maybe, but not yet. Could be so around the corner. A good deal of your clients aren't the blue jean and uh, Oxford shirt wearing guys, no? No. Yeah, I see. see. Got to get more of those and they'll ask. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, wearables, they are a boon to a lot of the consumers out there. I know I've seen a lot of lock companies. We've talked in the past with you about that, talking about how they can interface to these things. It still seems like what we're doing is just providing a free service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen two sides of this as well. We've done articles talking about wearables being the future, and because they're on you at all times, it's more secure for security getting into your home, for keyless entry, things like that. But on the other end, I haven't talked to any builders yet who have integrated a smartwatch, say, into their home. Hmm. Yeah. But security-wise, we've had discussions even on here about how you know the watch is on your wrist, whereas the phone, you could have left it in the car. So it's more secure to do that with, say, a smart watch than a smartphone. Hmm. Yeah, I, hmm. I wonder if that really is the true case, because I know I lose my watch all the time. Or maybe that's mm -hmm. just my age. I'm not sure which. But <laughs> Heather, save me on this one before I go my, down my own hole. Uh, the reason I bring part of this up, though, is there was something called the virus of free. And I wrote an article about it a little while ago, not, not to be self-randizing on that article, but it was based on another Fred Wilson discussion from a VC blog about how so many things are offered for free that suddenly you can't charge for them. And I see even the residential market chasing that spiral downward of having to accommodate these devices at a cost to you in programming time without really having to raise your prices because it's just supposed to be, right? You know, there's not a lot. Actually, I haven't had anybody ask yet um, to try to accommodate any of their wearables in their home at this point. Um, I know that I'm not a super high-end market, so maybe for someone who's doing luxury market, might have a different experience. I think that this is a lot of what the promise is versus what the solution is. Um, I had a Fitbit. I wore it for probably less than six months. I found out my steps, and then I didn't get enough sleep. Knew that already. <laughs> Knew that already. And then the things I did exercise, I didn't recognize, which was yoga and skiing. And then I'm on a ski hill, like trying to jump up and down on my downhill skis, just so it would register on my Fitbit. <laughs> and I'll throw in a number, and I haven't touched it since. Because the promise is there of how it's going to change our life, and it doesn't. And so it's not providing a solution. It's not making life better. It's an improving quality of our life. We put in a drawer um, and let it go. And until it make those changes, I think that people are not going to be asking for their chip. They're not going to be saying, yeah, I can't live without this thing. 
So then now I want my corporate boardroom to work with it as well. Um, right. and, and, and the home um, is that no one's going to say, I need this to turn my security system off. Because again, they're not wearing it because it's a solution basically. Mm -hmm. hmm. the, the question I have though is too is now this is done by EE Magazine, so it talks to the manufacturers, the developers, the really down deep engineers who develop these chipsets. And they start to, the basic argument I think that was unstated was, if we can't make money on the development of the chips and the features, why are we making them? And I think that's going to affect us in the end too, where they say, where is the value return on that? And we're only going to go for the big stuff, because the long tail for them isn't working. What if there was, you know, what if there was value in it? What if I went to my doctor and the same vitamins I take every time, the same people, why... Why isn't that being part of the solution? Why, and, and then for that, they could charge a, a 99 cents, one ninety-nine, and then it would make a difference for all of us. I, when will it make money for anyone? And and that's kind of creepy to me, actually. And that's another topic entirely. My doctor knows everything. My arms, sign me up. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know. Well, you know, there is the embeddables. We've talked about this before, adding to your own body, the cyborg stuff. We could talk about that. Uh, I think Commercial Integrator did a whole... Uh, show about the wearables at their CI summit, and they talked about wearables being part of the future. And I chastise them all because I think it's actually embeddables. It's actually going to be part of your body soon enough. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking, you know what? I might just have a good article on that because I know a lot about the people doing it already. Uh, all right. Well, moving on to something that also covers the idea that we said cheaper and maybe being better is from the New York Times. And this one should get some rouse out of all of us, including those watching. Let consumers use better, cheaper cable boxes. Yes, please. The premise of this article is, why are the cable companies requiring us to buy our scientific Atlanta boxes? Did I say that out loud? Uh, our cable boxes and not be able to buy ones right off the market shelf. It's, it's an issue. Chip? Um, bad person to ask. I've been a satellite subscriber for longer than I can remember, and uh, I don't have any complaints with the uh, set-top box that mine well, provides. Let me ask you this, though. Doesn't the set-top box come from the satellite company? Don't of course. you get one from Dish? Of course. Of course. What if you could buy your own instead of renting it? I, I would need a very compelling reason why. What, well, what, what would, would tell you? Let me ask what you that. Would it do, what exactly. What would it do better? Mm. Uh, you know, I pick up my remote and I change channels. Done. Thank you. Would it be the, Would it be a smart a version of a smart TV? Would it be a version of something you could use to record and or uh, store data as well? That might be uh, of interest. Hmm. The reason yeah. I ask is, and I'll throw this to Andrew because you and I are both recent cord cutters. We've talked about this a good deal. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, mostly offline, actually. We've never gotten to the stories that we wanted to talk about it. Um, they say in this article that it's $231 per year per customer in general that they pay to the cable companies for the rental of these boxes. That's over $21 billion in profit on cable boxes. And they're awful, no? Yeah, I mean, the reason I shut off cable is there was, and it was just $10, but they added $10 to my bill for just a fee, and I was like, you know what, I'm done with it. So I just got rid of cable and got a Roku. And I haven't missed cable for a second. Nice. Uh, Heather, it comes down to also, I think even Control 4 went this route. Your cable box interface sucks, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, they're, not, they're not easy interfaces. Um, 
think they're, they're terrible. I, I wish I could think of ways to make money. I wish I could charge for know your whole system's not broken. Don't cry over your TV. Unplug it and plug it back in. <laughs> um, how many times I say that for week for all these crashing boxes? Um, but their time's going to end. Like, I really believe we are on the precipice of change. More and more, like you just said, you're both core cutters. More and more people are just waiting for those last pieces. And so let them charge their $213 a year because they better put it in the bank for tomorrow, next year, five years, because I think more and more people are going to continue to cut the cord and they're not going to have anything left. And that's what they get for abusing people and charging so much for so many years for crap. I like how you were very subtle with that. <laughs> it was subtle, but I think for a moment's thought, I'll get it. You weren't fired up at all. Sorry. <laughs> Andrea, uh, if you were able to buy your own box, would you go back? Would you be tempted? It depends on the capabilities, just like we were talking about earlier. It, it depends if there's some sort of data storage. It depends what they're offering me, because mm. what I'm doing right now works. And then I've even tried to think about what this would mean for our industry and the builder. And in the article, they talk about possibly having the boxes installed already in your 4K TV, and that's something you could offer your clients. I just wonder where we could go with this if legislation was passed that we wouldn't have to buy them from the cable companies mm -hmm. or rent them, rather. Well, Chip, I'm going to throw one more at you about this because one of the parts of the article they suggest is that, well, it could be built in like Andrea, Andrea said, um, but they say that the cable cards would be in the hands of the cable companies. Now, being as cynical as I am, and I know you are, <laughs> do you think that the cable companies would actually willingly do this without causing complication, or do we have some dangers afoot in that? Oh, no, no, I, t I totally agree. They would probably make it as painful as an experience as possible. Yeah. Your call like will be answered in 93 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you have to change the cards out every other month for a fee or something. I don't like know. Like the cards you buy for your phone, you'd have to buy them for your cable <laughs> yes. box. There you go. Which you might not be something have 10 minutes. Idea. It could limit your technology use, you know? There's a positive here. Well, now, you know what? You, <laughs> you bring it up because I was thinking about that is that one of the benefits of the cable box would be some kind of content lockout for me. I mean, currently, <laughs> even on the, um, again, Scientific Atlanta boxes, the parental control is a switch on the back of the box. <laughs> I don't know you, but I can tell you any kid over eight years old will probably figure that one out faster than, they, than you'll ever know. That and the clear liquor is water. Trust me. It's not alcohol. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that was one of the things I thought about. It was, hey, there's now you could have very specialized positions. You could have better interfaces. Because I got to tell you, one of the reasons my wife agreed to cut the cord even though she loves her, her housewife shows and stuff like that, was that terrible interface. You could never find anything. It just didn't make sense. And she was like, all right, get rid of it. Hey, uh, hey George. Mm. Uh, you probably recall that I'm a, you know, something of a video game fanatic. Somewhat. Just a little okay. bit. Just a little bit. Uh, the Xbox One console. Uh-huh. It came out, they were touting the ability to, uh, it, it's not a replacement for your cable box or your satellite box by any means, but it had the ability to pipe the signal from your box through the Xbox One to your TV, and uh, the, 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 I guess, premise was to have it more of a, a central media hub for your entertainment system, and uh, I, again, it came back, it comes back to 
uh, is it actually going to offer enough benefit to the experience to make it worthwhile using? Mm-hmm. I was excited at the at the prospect when the the Xbox One first came out. Uh, sure enough, I've got it hooked up to to pass my satellite through it, and I'm supposed to have the ability to access the channel guide and do some wonderful uh, interactive uh, stuff with that that the built-in channel guide does on my satellite box. Uh, but it, you know, again, it turned out to not be all that, and I don't use it now. So it's it's just, are you actually going to come up with something beneficial to add to to pull somebody away from the yeah the the, the Providers' offerings. Yeah, no, it's true, and it would have to be a heck of a lot. Although, well, we'll see. Uh, the battle continues. Well, also on that alternate content and uh, content, instead of getting uh, a cable box, you could actually now get an Apple TV. We know this, uh, but the new news coming out is not the rumors that Apple is making a TV, but that they are going to be producing original content, a la Netflix, a la Amazon. May the golden age of content proceed, as they're saying. Uh, NPR reported on this, saying that uh, it is the golden age of content, that if you're a writer or an actor, oh, my God, you've got lots of options. There's lots of things going on. Um, But it does bring up the question, are we going to want more than one device in our house? Heather, I'll start with you. Do we want a Roku, an Apple TV, uh, a Voodoo box, a smart TV? Are all those options beneficial, or is it really just confusing everybody now? I don't think it's been – so when someone comes in to buy a TV, one of my first questions is, what kind of phone do you have? And they pause for a second and kind of give me a strange face because why am I asking what kind of phone they have when they are going to buy a TV? Um, and my reason for that is if they say that, you know, we're an Apple house, we have Mac computers and have iPads and iPhones, then I'm going to direct them to an Apple TV. And I'll tell them right off the bat, I make no money off this device, but it's magic as far as you're concerned. <laughs> um, people love it. Now, they're more willing to pay more money for an entire system through us because I've given them a piece of magic that they just didn't know exists. Um, if they come in and they're Android, it might be Chromecast or Roku might be the answer for them. So I think as the technology specialist that we are, it's our job to find the right pieces for them. I rarely find clients that have more than one of these devices. It's whatever device works on them the most. Now, if Apple does come up with it, and we've been talking about this for a year or more, if they come up with their own content, that might be the reason that maybe the Android person does come over to the Apple side, because everyone's looking mass market, right? Apple has billions of dollars in the bank because they made it easy. And so if they can do this again, then can cut the cord completely. And that's what baby boomers are looking for. They want to pay less for their cable bills, especially those boxes that don't work. <laughs> Um, yeah, if, if, it, if it's true, it will be. I think it will, it will be game changing. But I feel that after 12 years, I'm a little bitter, and I don't leave anything until I see it. <laughs> Again, with the subtlety. And, um, you said, of course, you you cut the cord, and you and you have a uh, a Roku box. You believe you just said earlier, you have. Yeah, I have Roku. Okay. Do you have more than one plan? Do you just use the Roku, or are you like across different platforms? We researched beforehand and decided on the Roku. I feel like it would be more complicated to have more than one platform. Right. And you, you, go ahead. As far as the builder's concerned, I totally agree with what was just said. The less complicated, the better. 
and builders have been burned many times installing devices that don't work or don't work down the road. So I think the proof is in the pudding for a lot of these devices. Hmm. Chip, I know you said your satellite. Is that one of the reasons, though, is that you don't have to worry about finding the content? It just is in one place? I mean, would you go... Would, would something drive you to go to an Apple TV for content? Uh, that's a that's a, a tricky question because I, I have to admit that I do use the uh, you know the Netflix app again mm -hmm. on the Xbox One because it's there. Um, In between your uh, single uh, first person shooter. Exactly. Um, I don't have his Facebook page. Anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be hard pressed to want to hook up you know, an additional box to my TV just for the same reason. I don't want it to be more complicated than it, than it already is with, with two boxes to get content from. All right. Well, let's move on to something, actually, that is dovetails into this because we're talking about streaming. Physical media. Yes, I said physical media, and I don't mean records. Uh, there's a report here from Sound and Vision excellent magazine, about disc hold-on in our streaming world. Uh, it's a report, basically it breaks it down by demographics, and as you would expect, the younger people have some, but really lean towards streaming. The middle age uh, sort of really buy almost anything and everything, as they call it, content kings. And then the old folks mm -hmm, um, basically are sort of in, the, in between there somewhere. Uh, but I'm going to ask you guys, and I'll start with you, Andrew, since you said you have you know, the cord cutting uh, Roku. Do you invest in physical media? Do you have it? Is it legacy? When's the last time you I bought a disc? I don't own a DVD player or a Blu-ray player, so I have the DVDs. They sit on the bookshelf. Interesting. <laughs> so you play mini Frisbee is what you do. <laughs> yes. Uh, Heather, I'll ask that to you as well then. With all the technology around you, do you still have your library of stuff from the, from the days past? When was the last time you actually bought a disc? I think when I didn't know what to get my husband once, we bought him the Star Wars trilogy. And that was probably a few years ago. Um, yeah, well, we stream it. We stream it. We don't use it. I have a DVD player. I can't tell you the last time I used it. Um, do you think... I, go ahead. I was going to say, but do you think some of this might relate to some of the rules still in place that you have to have the physical media present in order to stream it and certain devices out there? The a la the whole thing that happened with Kaleidoscape? That could be, but one of the questions I wrote down when I read this article is, could it be skewed, too? Because I would like to know what household income is for mm. this as well. Because I think middle class-wise can afford $4.99 for 24 hours of a movie. I think that if you were not middle class, maybe going to the library to get a disc or buying it at Walmart for you know a discount pack could be a big difference from why you would own one and have a disc versus why you wouldn't. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because the article does does touch on this about the price conscience uh, conscience would uh, would buy a lot, but all of the groups were really very particular in what they bought. They wouldn't just buy something off the hook or random or just oh that's cool I want it now. They'd actually really think about it, and that's a that's a big difference from only a few short years ago where. You know, the supermarkets were still selling DVDs there, uh, and people would pick them up for $5.99, but they're still not even picking them up for that. Uh, Chip? Yes? Ruling out, and I'm going to make this, the, here's, the, here's the difficulty for you. Physical media, that's not a game. Um, have you bought one? When was the last one you bought? 
Uh, Well, I'm going to answer games, uh, audio, and and video. Uh, Streaming is great. It's convenient, but I'm still a big fan of actually having a a copy of something. I've downloaded uh, lots of content you know, keeping audio and video on, on hard drives accessible without actually having the source disk. But I still buy audio CDs. I buy lots of uh, stuff on Blu-ray. I don't like having to be required to have an Internet connection in order to, to do or, or be entertained by something, so to say. Um, that said, uh, a lot of game, you know, the games now, they're, they're not streamed, but I, I buy the games, and they get downloaded to my console, and I'm good to go. Yeah, it's a question that I'm going to ask all of you guys, though, because while we said that we don't have content, here is the difficulty in that. My youngest, somehow I, I taught him right, is really into the Marx Brothers. And for a while, the Netflix, the Netflix, Netflix had, I just went George Bush there, um, Netflix has lost their rights to a lot of content. Some of it's the Marx Brothers, some of it's other movies. It's a shifting playing field where I can't be guaranteed that the content I want will actually be there. Is that a problem? Go ahead, Heather. You can still still own the content without owning the disc. I mean, so if my girls love a movie, they're seven and eight, and I buy it through the Apple TV, and then we recently went on a five-hour drive, I knew that when they had that iPad, that movie would be there. So I didn't have to worry about discs and loading them up. Those movies were just there. And if they were sick of them, we could just download some, go somewhere with the internet connection get the other ones who were there. Um, so still on the content doesn't change in those cases. We don't have a ton of them, but we don't have the physical media. Yeah, interesting. That, I mean, that's one of the solutions, I suppose. But, I mean, again, it, there seems to be a lot of people who don't want to buy the physical media or even a copy of it because it just has to be there. That means you have to have a hard drive. It means you have to have some physical storage. I get that it's cheap. Memory is cheaper. <laughs> Um, but it does seem to be a choice issue that I don't think anyone's looking at. It sort of could be the um, unintended consequences a lot of people aren't really looking at. Uh, to that end, though, let's talk about why we do all this. And we have a fair game to play in part of the problem. This is from the BBC. Are we addicted to technology? Yes, we are. All above, raise your hand and say aye. Yes, all right. We see the thumbs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to that end... We provide a service which actually helps keep people in their houses watching content and <laughs> staying where they are. Uh, Andrea, are we, are you addicted to technology? Is it a problem? Oh, definitely addicted to technology. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can and tell obviously, you I hope other people are too because that's what I write about. Well, exactly. You know, joke that if every, all the problems were solved, say in sports, the sports guys would have nothing to talk about. If everybody became clean, nobody would talk. Um, it's sort of like the was it the Robert Palmer song? You know, I guess I might as well admit it. I'm addicted to technology. Uh, what can? But are we too addicted to it? Are we feeding the beast too too much? Uh, Heather, we talked about. The cable boxes, maybe having independent ones that give us more content control and timing, even for ourselves. I guess sort of like locking the fridge and saying, you can't have that right now. Um, do, do, do we really feed the beast, or is it really much ado about nothing? Do we feed, yes. Yes, we feed the beast, in hoping that 
in hoping that they have there's a survival of the fittest out there as well. Right? So we build home theaters and we tell the story of, hey, you'll know where your kids are because the kids will come to your house instead of going to the hospital. You'll know where they are and so they're safer. Um, and then we hope that the parents still parent and that the kids aren't watching eight hours of movies a day and not doing any homework. So, yes, we feed the beast. Um, I think that one of the interesting parts of that article was that we're so reactive. Um, and that's beyond just our piece of the technology pie is, you know, a text comes across and immediately we have to grab it and things can wait longer, but we don't realize it. We, we are in the infancy of this new world, um, and I think that we'll hopefully, hopefully grow and learn teach our kids don't be on your phone during dinner. Look. <laughs> um, so we still have a lot to learn. Okay. Uh, Chip, I'm going to ask you. I think it's uh, the answer is obvious. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but do we bear any responsibility in helping to mitigate that to uh, on, on an individual level? Well, on an individual, maybe even on an industry level. You know, we do provide these means, but no way. It, we open the tap, but we don't give them any way to turn it off except their own selves. Yeah, I think that's definitely down to a, to a self thing. I'm totally guilty of that myself. I've got to make sure that, you know, when I'm done gaming for a night before I go to sleep, I've got, just like that article said, you got to have at least that hour of cool-down time. And out of curiosity, what do you do to cool Do you play guitar? Is that what you do? Uh, no, actually, I'll, I'll tend to, to read or, you know, I know they say get away from the technology, but I'll surf the web and just read, you know, go out to find stuff to read. But, uh, you know, again, it's not uh, something that's engaging or, and getting me all riled up. Yeah, all right. Um, all right, I'm going to spring one on you guys. Uh, I haven't had time to give it to you, but our friend Josh Schrago, he wrote a white paper for Commercial Integrator called, oh, what is it called? Five Tech Trends for the Next Five Years. Uh, it's an interesting article. I'll share it with you guys here as I learn technology. There we go. Uh, five tech trends. Uh, it's really well written, well researched. Uh, I won't go through it all here because I want you to download it from Commercial Integrator. Uh, it's a great paper, but I'm going to put it to you guys. I want to ask you what you think the next two tech trends that are going to affect you in the next year the most. Heather, I'll start with you. Oh, no time to think on that one. Ah, yeah. uh, in the next year... Yeah, give it the next year. What do you What do you think the biggest thing is that you're going to have to deal with? Those are good questions. Um, well, I hope to see some more ubiquity, and I don't know if that will happen, but products working better together. Um, Apple has HomeKit, again, still vaporware at this point. I know it kind of exists before people get technical with me, but I, I hope that we see more ubiquity in the ease of use for that mass market so we are improving quality of life with technology again. Um, and not just trying to sell TVs because they're curved and we made them. Um, so sexy. <laughs> um, I, so I hope to see ubiquity. Um, healthcare, I think that that is still a huge trend. We have a lot of baby boomers um, still getting to that point uh, that, that it's going to be necessary. They're not going to want to give up their cars or their houses um, like ever before. So I think that healthcare is going to continue to play a huge role in the tech world. Uh, Chip, I'll, I'll go to you. Actually, you know what? I'm going to jump, jump that because we're going to wind up with uh, Andrea at the end. So, Andrea, the one tech trend for you personally you think that you will be dealing with or may change how you do things? Probably mobile connectivity. Mm -hmm. 
on smart devices. And then in the builder realm and in our realm, probably home health tech, like we just talked about, uh, aging in place, um, medical. I think it's going to play a huge role. Technology is going to play a huge role in aging in place mm. in the baby boomer generation. I think we're going to see that in the years to come. A way that technology can be a benefit. Right. Okay. Uh, Chip, Josh writes a lot about a number of things here in this article. I know you probably had a chance to look at it, but one of the couple of things were content protection and the government regulations surrounding that and other stuff like it. Uh, any of that affect you and your heavy use of content? Uh, no, it hasn't uh, come up as an issue for me. Hmm. Yeah. Anything that you're looking towards that you're eager for or will change how you do, whether you're afraid of it or eager for it? or No, you know, uh, I know this goes back to what, one of the thing, things we were talking about earlier. I'm, I'm waiting to see if wearables will uh, have an impact in the area that I work in. Um, that, that might be interesting. But aside from that, uh, no, not really. Okay. Well, one of the reasons we have Andrew Medeiros on is not just because she's well-informed, she understands technology, but she is part of something we call the publisher's perspective. We bring in a tech magazine uh, publisher and or reporters to talk to us about what their demographic is finding important these days. Uh, Andrea, you guys have a lot of stuff, and from what I saw from the last couple of days, right off the presses about some really hot topics. Start us off about what the home builders that install tech are really looking at. Uh, last month I talked a lot about aging in place. This month we've talked a lot about the tiny home trend and the type of technology that can fit in these tiny homes. Um, we just had a couple of these stories go out in our high volume newsletter. So we have newsletters that are targeted to high volume builders, luxury builders. We kind of have a best of newsletter called Insights and then also multifamily. So different technologies affect these different demographics in different ways. Um, the most recent video we put together was called The Techie Tiny Home Proves Lux Amenities Can Be Affordable. It's this woman, it, she's actually a Boston architect, and she's from Rhode Island. She's putting together 150-square-foot tiny home with all of the latest technology in it, and it's going to cost about $50,000. So we kind of talk about how you can market this tech, um, but you kind of have to market it in a tinier package. She's going to have home automation. She's going to have backup power installed underneath the porch, several security systems. It's going to be extremely efficient. Um, and actually, she can surpass some building codes as long as she doesn't live in this home on wheels year-round. But because it's on wheels, she can surpass some building codes, and that's why it can be so small. Well, what kind of building so codes? So that's can one I of the that? stories. Yeah, and that's one of the stories on our website right now. We actually produced a video for that one. Another story that, I mean, it's not typical tech out there right now, but I thought this was a really interesting daily story we put out this week. It's called The Hawaiian-Inspired Treehouse Embraces Sustainable Living. It's basically a house on a pedestal surrounded by grass that you can put solar in, um, and the grass is supposed to be a CO2 mitigator. It provides shade. They call it living walls. Just some really interesting technologies, although the Kickstarter campaign for those homes is not doing very good, which makes me sad because I think it's a really cool idea. The idea is to put them in parking lots or uh, near mountaintops, the idea that you can put these homes anywhere and they kind of look like a tree. It was just a cool thing that we wrote about. Um, another story is seeing the future through smart glass. So the idea that this certain glass blocks or allows only certain wavelengths of light to get through so some of the energy efficient technologies have become really huge lately. 
Um, another builder we talked to was Evolutionary Homes. They haven't sold any of these homes yet, but um, it's a former athlete behind um, this home builder, and he's basically making homes that will be beneficial to athletes. He has a sports background. Um, so there will be electromagnetic frequency programming, so it'll shut off electronic centers um, from sending frequencies throughout the house. There'll be a lot of indoor air quality devices and also custom lighting that's programmed to circadian rhythms. So a lot of these stories we've done uh, recently were kind of in dispersed with trends that are going on right now, but these are trends that maybe are super popular, but they're things that are out there. Another thing we're doing right now is kind of doing a room-by-room -room series, which all you integrators out there were looking for your help. We want to kind of show the builders the best of the home theater and kind of some different home theaters out there and what they can be doing. And we're also looking for submissions for that. We will also do the perfect kitchen, the perfect backyard. So that's where some of you integrators could come into play in helping us out get the word out there to builders. I, I, I have know a quick I question. rambled I, a lot really fast. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, again, me being schooled on exactly how a professional uh, does a, uh, a broadcast. Anyway, um, I'm in awe every time you do it, Andrea. I am. Uh, but I have a question for you because I, I almost interrupted you and I apologize. But back to the tiny home, you said that they could get past some codes. Any specifics yeah. on what they're allowed to skirt on? Well, typically you can't build a tiny home that small. 150 square feet is even small for a tiny home. I'm not sure on the actual specifics. We didn't talk a lot about that. But the idea is that because the home is on wheels, you can surpass some of the really tight restrictions out there when it comes to size. Um, hmm. Those are kind of the restrictions, and then also some of the energy efficiency. But again, this home is extremely energy efficient, and there's a lot of technology. But there is a catch there. She can't live in that home 365 days a year because it's on wheels. She can only live in it a certain percentage of the year. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm interesting a big fan things of the tiny going out there. <laughs> yeah, no. And again, tech home builders. Uh, let's start with you since we're going to wind it up. Uh, Andrea, where can they find out more about you on Twitter and on the web? Um, I'm on Twitter at Andrea A. Medeiros. You can also tweet Tech Home Builder on Twitter. We have Tech Home Builder on Facebook. Also, Andrea Medeiros Tech Home on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all of the social media sites. You can always shoot me an email as well. Um, again, integrators out there, we'd love to see your really awesome home theaters and all of the technology you're installing because it would it's extremely beneficial to builders. Cool. Uh, Chip, yes. tell the folks where they can hear about you, your uh, successes in video gaming world, and uh, other tough technologies. Uh, I welcome anybody to visit me on my Facebook page. Uh, it's not, not hard to find, Chip Moody. Uh, professionally, uh, Video Corporation of America, vcaglobal.com, all your uh, professional audiovisual, commercial, and uh, uh, educational integration needs from uh, you know boxes to complete system design and builds. There you go. Uh, and you play a mean guitar and always expose me to some interesting music that I would never think that I would have a hook into. So uh, thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All of that. He is my source for some of that oddball stuff. Um, oddball. That's not oddball. Heather, at least not in public. Uh, please tell the folks where they can find more about you and your, your, your company. And it's Thanks for the segue. There you go. Um, you can find me on Twitter at tech underscore chi, C-H-I. Um, I'm pretty active over there. I'm also over on Google Plus and LinkedIn. Um, Business-wise, southtownav.com is our website, um, and you can find us there as well. 
Peace out. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on. We want to thank you. Uh, this has been a production of AV Nation. We are a dedicated group of people who work and live in the AV industry, and we do this because we love it so much. So we have this and a host of other shows covering niche markets of AV to the grand and uh, big news stuff. So please stop by, take a look at it. We've got blogs from our, uh, our illustrious people as well as guest bloggers from the industry's alum. And uh, we hope to see you there. This has been a production of AV Nation, and we look forward to speaking with you guys again very soon. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.